Wednesday Breakfast acknowledges that we broadcast from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge their ongoing resilience in the face of colonisation and settlement. We recognise sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty has never been signed. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. It is Wednesday, the 22nd of May, and you are listening to Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. I'm Will. And I'm Edwin. Hello. Good morning. How are you? Oh, look. PTV's got me down a little bit. Oh, no. Um, our tram got stalled, and then we got kicked off it, and we shivered in the cold for a bit. Yeah, you're then... running straight from the door to your seat here. Yeah, yeah, no, I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I got on the wrong tram. Apparently, the 48 is not the same as the 109. Oh, no. So, whack, weirdo. Where's that go? Yeah, somewhere, uh, but not here. Oh. So, <laughs> I had to run back to the 109, and long story short, I am here. But, Will, you have foreshadowed that you have something exciting, so please <laughs> raise my spirits. They are so crushed by PTV right now. I, um, I bought new boots. Yay! <laughs> That's the exciting thing. I'm breaking them in at the moment, and I didn't know that you had to do that with mm. boots um, until I bought these, and it hurts. Are they docks? Ah, uh, yeah. That is definitely why you have to break them. <laughs> they're, they're big, chunky boys, and um, I feel powerful, mm-hmm. so I, I'm kind of into them. Just kind of know. shake the earth. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I've also been, what have I been doing lately? Um, this shows how much is going on in my life. I've been practicing with makeup, because <laughs> oh. I don't have anything else going on, so I was like doing eyeliner last okay. night, and now it feels like, because I had to wipe it all off yeah. um, before going to bed, and now I feel like I've been crying for hours, because <laughs> of the, the, is that a normal thing? I don't know. I'm yeah, I'm not a makeup horribly bad at makeup. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but yeah. I would say that like it sounds like your BB cream mm. interest like last week is burgeoning. Yes. Interest is like yes. growing. Yeah, so yeah. So I expect like the full, the full like you know. <laughs> well, I don't know what the full because I don't know if I want to wear like yeah you know contour and highlighter. I don't understand contour. I can't do it. Can't yeah. get the angles right. No, nah, no. Nah. <laughs> anyway, um, how's your week been? Uh, week has been. Oh, I I I think. Everyone listening to 3CR has probably, mm. <laughs> there's a little bit of an elephant in the room uh, with yeah. the weekend. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to keep it light and just say Eurovision, Australia's entry was fantastic. Um, uh, and okay. there was some fantastic um, political uh, representation with one of the groups from... Iceland, you're talking Iceland, about. Iceland, yeah, doing a yeah. big political protest. So that was quite fun. Right, um, yeah. But yes, that was a bit of a letdown, the Netherlands one. Oh, Netherlands okay. one with a non-Eurovision song. It was yeah, I'm usually I'm usually a big fan of Eurovision, but I just couldn't watch this year um, because of the the boycott event, divestment yeah. sanctions call to to boycott it. Mm. Um, I, I just like I was talking to some friends though. Um, do we still boycott next year? Because they haven't they haven't mm. like said sorry that we we played in an apartheid state, and they they're not going to give back the money that they made during the whole thing. But that being said. It's going to be in the Netherlands next year, mm. and the Netherlands isn't Israel. So I'm really, yeah, I don't know what the deal is with that, but um, it'll suppose, be interesting to... Yeah, and you have yeah. a year to kind of chew over and think about <laughs> that, I suppose. Um, yeah, my very important decision. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I suppose, apart from that, I'm just mm-hmm. in university hell, um, mm. just with assignments. Yeah. But we're doing a very cool assignment. Uh, I'll, I'll be very quick about this. Yeah. But we're doing a cool assignment about the... Um, 
gender pay gap. Ooh. And it's been okay. so funky. Because yeah, it's so complicated. So though, complicated, right? Yeah. And so what we decided to do is keep it broad and get uh, people's experiences, both mm. women and men. Okay. Uh, mainly, of course, women. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. they're the ones experiencing the brunt of it. Yeah. But also, we, we really wanted to get like a really mixed voice. So yeah. I've just been flooded with completely different stories from all over the place and it's just been fascinating Uh, so if you don't know anything about it it's actually as you said it's a complex Mm. issue and a lot of people think it's a very simple one and a lot of people because of that discount it so just something you know I've been getting more aware of it finding out a bit more about the name and I definitely suggest to anyone who's interested check out the um, WGAE which is the government kind of Mm. website but it does break down all the statistics and give you actually the factors and reasons that the gender pay gap exists. All right, cool. Mm. Yeah, I'd never, I've not heard of the WGA. Sorry, it's the Workplace Gender Equality um, Association. G-A- uh, no, agency. Agency. Yeah. W-G-E-A. Ah, W-G-E-A. Cool, okay. W-G-E-A. Right. Um What have I been up to? Saturday, I was handing out leaflets for Stop Adani. And that was in McNamara, so that's uh, St Kilda area and that sort of thing. And people were mostly positive. We didn't get a positive result, and I think that's because we weren't clear enough that Labor wanted the mine to go ahead. Sort of thing, and people were like, yeah, I voted Labor. I'm like, why are you smiling at me then? Go away. But anyway, so that was a thing. but no, um, the the one thing that I learnt from the election is that St Kilda has amazing dogs. Really? Like, there's so many dogs. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I don't think there was much more to learn um, from my experience on that day, to yeah. be honest. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, we're, we're going to be talking about um, the election a little bit. A little bit. We're Not too much, because that. I know that we've all been flooded with um, news about the election and all of these takes by people who don't really yeah. have skin in the game. So it might and be... honestly, a little bit of grief as well. Yeah. Yeah, but... Um, yeah, it's it's complicated, that one. So maybe we'll revisit that, but not spend too much time. Most of our show is not election-based. Um, mm-hmm. What have we got coming up? Yeah, so at 7.30, we're going to have a uh, kind of environmental story talking about fossil fuel subsidies, both nationally and globally. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot of numbers, so <laughs> we're going to ask our guy to break them down for us. Mm. Uh, then I believe there's a 7.45 thing happening. Yeah, that's right. We're <coughs> going to be speaking to Greg Rolls, who has um, just been to court for um, for supposedly blocking a uh, train line, an Horizon train line. Um, Horizon, if you don't know, are doing business with the Adani coal mine. Um, and so they'll, um, uh, Greg has uh, been charged with a, a number of accounts, um, but has pled not guilty on... Um, on the cause of, what do you call it? On the basis of, there we go, mm-hmm. um, said that he was not guilty on the basis of a necessity to act in the face of the mm-hmm. climate emergency. And so that's interesting, and that's a, that's a defence that's been used um, previously in the US and the UK, and so it might be interesting to hear um, Greg's take on that and what the result looks like it might be, because mm-hmm. I know it's a bit of a process um, in in the courts. Um, so, yeah, we'll be speaking to Greg Rolls at 7.45. Um, and then after that, at 8, we're hoping to speak to yeah. someone. Yeah, 8 o'clock is going to be interesting. We're hopefully going to speak to people <clears throat> a little overseas. We'll see mm-hmm. how international numbers work there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we're going to be talking about the forum uh, Human Rights in the Context of Shrinking Democratic Spaces Online, uh, hosted by the APC mm. at the Stockholm Internet Forum this year, mm. which happened like, last week. Yeah. Um, so... I've never heard of it. I thought it'd be funky to find out a bit more. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, just getting their mm. take on what human rights they're focusing on, mm. what 
what does democratic space online mean? All of these sorts mm. of breakdowns of thought could be fun. Yeah, yeah. It makes me think of the, um, the panel that we had last year um, on um, creeping totalitarianism and surveillance mm, and the use definitely. of the internet. Um, so if folks want to l- listen back to that, go to 3cr.org.au and it should be in specials. If you mm-hmm. look for specials, then you'll find um, it's called... Path to totalitarianism. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, so th- that'll be great to hear from. And we're also at some point during the show, depending on how, how our phone calls go during the day, <laughs> we're going to be um, hearing from the prison abolition panel that took place yesterday at the Wheeler Centre. Great speakers, Mariki Onis, um, Debbie Kilroy as well, and um, yeah, hosted by Robin Oxley. So um, you'll hear a bit more about them during the show. Uh, right now it's time for alternative news. Uh, folks, it's 7.08. Stay tuned. Some folks know about it, some don't. Some will learn to shout it, some won't. But sooner or later, baby, here's a ditty. Say you're gonna have to get right down to the real nitty-gritty. Let's get right down to the real nitty-gritty now. One, two, nitty-gritty now, yeah, boom. Nitty-gritty, Thank you, Shirley. <laughs> um, that was Shirley Ellis in the Nitty Gritty, bringing us into our segment, Alternative News. Um, so, Rob did a great job last week mm. of giving us a very well-structured, well-researched alternative news, and it was an inspiration that I have not followed this week. Um, really, I just, I've all of my news is Twitter these yeah. days, and mm. what I'm seeing a lot on Twitter is people blaming Queensland for the return of the Liberal National Hmm. Coalition, coalition government, um, government, and um, and saying things like, um, you you'll have seen this meme, won't you? Of um, there's no such uh, like it's basically it takes the format of saying there's no such thing as X, and then immediately after they show their their X. concept of what that thing would be, yeah. And the meme is there's no such thing as a perfect Australia, and then immediately after there's a picture of Australia with Queensland cut out of it, um, mm. which is dumb. No, no, sorry, that's a bad word to use, which is not good. Like, it's just, yeah. I don't know, it's just a really reductive thinking. So the the argument is that Queensland lost Labour the election and Labour would be better than the Liberal National Party. Yeah. yeah. I think it's really counterproductive. I get exactly where they're coming from. People are hurting about mm. the result. They're upset. Yeah. That's fair enough. But I do feel like whilst it might be literally a meme, it's funny for a bit. Mm. It is so dangerous to blame one section of Australia for yeah. what is... A national election. Absolutely. And a national, like, liberals were voted in all over the country Mm. compared to Labour, whatever. We can't just put it all onto Queensland, as easy as it is. And Queensland, let's face it, is very easy kind of like to make as the, to make as the kind of Mm. thing that, like, Victoria especially picks Mm. on. Yeah, they haven't had the industrialisation that we've had down here. They haven't had all of the, you know, all of the money for infrastructure that isn't extractive industries poured in like we Mm. have down here in Victoria. Um, And I think a a point's worth making, um, Karen Wilde on Twitter, um, who's an Indigenous thinker and someone who I follow I think is really great, um, made the point that, you know, the country has been there the whole time. Um, The the colonial state was plopped down on top of it. And so to sort of disparage Queensland Mm. is is not just. Definitely. Um, The the point is, though, um, I think that um, in Queensland... 
One Nation secured over 200,000 House of Reps votes and a swing of over 3%. Um, and so that does say something at least about the votership in that region, but it, but it bears more complicated questions than just thinking mm. um, that people in Queensland are, are backward. Definitely. And yeah. also, we were speaking to someone from First Nations Worker, Workers Alliance last week, and mm. she was talking completely about how she was going out and getting a lot of votes uh, to vote against the CDP, the Community Development Program. So there mm. are these... these thinkers out there in Queensland and stuff like that and just kind of kind of painting them all with the same brush is just a little bit dangerous, you know? It's mm. just as complex as any other state. I mean, um, our own Victoria state, my own, my own electorate went to Liberal um, mm. after a big toss between all of the major parties. So, yeah. Totally, yeah. Uh, front page of The Australian has um, a big picture of a happy white family, uh, <laughs> a lady and, um, and her two kids, Quiet Australians heard loud and clear. You heard the phrase quiet Australians as people who voted for the LNP. Isn't that um, so... But but don't talk about it so much. Isn't Um, that so um, echoey of the silent majority? The silent majority, That's what that hit me as. Absolutely. And I was just like... Yeah. That's a saying that's been used to justify just too many nasty schmears in Australian history. Totally. As you know, the silent majority, this quiet Australia. Um, Yeah. So anyway... um, uh, as we said earlier, this is going to be a fairly light alternative it news is. because I'm actually really eager to get onto this next part. Um, so yesterday around midday, there was a, uh, a panel at the Wheeler Centre, um, which was hosted by Robin Oxley, who's a thorough old woman from southwest Sydney and has family connections to the Yorta Yorta um, people. Um, and it was uh, the panel consisted um, Mariki Onus, who's a Gunai and Gundijamara woman who grew up in Gippsland. Um, Many will know her as someone who leads um, Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance. Um, otherwise, she works at JIRA as well. Um, and uh, Debbie Kilroy um, is an, uh, a prison abolition um, activist as well um, who has um, lived experience of being imprisoned and of the violence in prisons and um, uh, established Sisters Inside to advocate for the rights of women and girls in prison. Um, of course, they'll introduce themselves, but I thought that was um, some good extra information. So um, let's listen in and see what they had to say. Welcome. Uh, my name is Robin Oxley. I'm a thorough woman from southwest Sydney. I also have family connections uh, to Yorta Yorta along the Murray. Um, I'm a lecturer at Monash University in criminology and also a student as well, doing my master's by research. My name is Mariki, um, and just want to acknowledge that we're on Wurundjeri country of the Kulin Nations. Um, I'm from, I work at a place called Jira, or Jira, for people who can't roll their R's. I'm from, uh, also from the Gundij, Mara and Gunai Nations, um, but live here on Wurundjeri country. Hi, I'm Debbie. Um, I reside on unceded Nulumpu land in Mianjin, um, also the CEO of Sisters Inside. So I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners on the land on which we're gathered here today um, and recognise that we are on stolen land. Pay my respects to the elders of the Bunurung and the Wurundjeri uh, people and their elders past, present and emerging and also mine. Uh, We're going to kick off today um, just by letting all know that we will be answering uh, First Nations people's questions and people of colour's questions first when it comes to question time. Um, How are we going? Good. Good. It's cold here. It is cold. <laughs> it is cold. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is from where I am. <laughs> um, it's a bit cool. Yes. And I think it's even a bit cooler after the weekend. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Yeah. We've yes. got a frosty reception from the Australian government again. Nothing new. Mm-hmm. But um, mm. we have to hamper down even harder, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the problem. We are in a country that continues since invasion following, you know, the lead of the USA. Mm-hmm. So we saw 45 elected not long ago um, and we've just followed that lead um, to just lurch further and further to the right to the detriment of, uh, you know, particularly First Nations people and people who are poor, people who are homeless, people with mental illness, people with drug addictions, um, you know, children taken by the child stealers into care and the list goes on, you know, like um, it's just brings home for me the weekend that um, we actually are a nation uh, that values things, property and money over humans mm-hmm. and it's very distressing. I agree. And the formation of this nation was... That's how this nation was formed. Mm-hmm. And I think that that skeleton will always remain in the closet and come out to bite us every day actually that disappointment that you know a lot of non-aboriginal people felt on um the weekend is something that we feel very we feel all the time um you know we still have the northern territory intervention here in this country um we have so many different things happening you know our experience of settler colonial australia is very different and i'm really reminded by the reaction of Australia to how they're like, wow, we're really racist. This is so bad. I'm like, really? Mm. We've always been that bad. You know, when people were um, talking about Bob Hawke and how much of a great guy he was and, and I, you know, he, he was detrimental to the land rights movement here for us. So the things that, is, that disappoints Australia and the things that you celebrate here... Um, you know, it's, we're, we're, not have, we're not in the same experience. Like, you know, settler, the settler colony of Australia is not the same experience for us, so we're not seeing it the same way that, um, that Australians are experiencing it. So it's really interesting when things like this, big things happen like this, and we watch the reaction of the country, and they blame Queensland, or they blame this one and that one, or Labor. And really... Um, this is this is settler colonial Australia. Like, not many years ago, they just tried to shut down all the communities in WA, and mm-hmm. and very actually, I think it's happening. It's happening. Yes, yep. So you know, there's threats to our communities constantly and our livelihood constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and people always like, let's get radical now, let's burn the system down. You know, let's maintain that rage. You know, beyond election cycles, I think. And not also use that, let's move to New Zealand or let's move Mm. to another country because they've got Indigenous people too. And imagine how feeling that would be for them to just go, oh, okay, you've stuffed up your own country, now you want to come and continue to stuff ours up. So I think just adding to that. Yeah, but if they move to New Zealand, take the country with you. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Brexit. Like, we don't want to take settler colonial Australia with you because, you know, we're... We've been organising our communities outside of settler colonial Australia for a really long time and I think it really ties in with the theme of this talk. Mm -hmm. Um, Beyond election cycles, we've had to weather 
these extreme storms from um, the first day of colonisation for each each tribe. So, um, and it's not just how you react to the politics, it's how you work in community and it's the work that you do beyond election day or election campaigns or campaigns. It's, you know, how do we protect our communities from state violence um, and poverty and things like displacement and incarceration and child removal um, outside of state reach and I think that's where we've really got to have those conversations and start thinking about how can we be independent and start diminishing the power of this state or some people would argue you could burn it down that's some some arguments Um, you know we can need to diminish the power of the state within our communities and we can only do that by doing that for ourselves and stop looking to them for the silver bullet you know I Mm -hmm felt disappointed because I'm, I don't, I, I'd love to see Manus and Nauru shut down and I'd love to see increases in, in Centrelink and I'd love to see action, real action on climate change and I think they're, they're things that the federal election can affect. But I didn't really feel that disappointed for us because I never felt like the silver bullet would come from the Australian political system. I really like that burning it down. I want to unpack that a bit more. Um, especially when it comes to prisons, you know, the, the metaphor of it, I guess, when you're in prison and all that, um, trying to get out, but it's really difficult kind of concept to grasp, but, but what, what is it that you mean by burning it down? Because I really want you to explain that a bit further because I think it would, it's important. Well, we're talking about a phrase that was um, said by Tanin Onis Williams, um, Who's here today? And back in Invasion Day, I think it was 2017, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and funnily enough, you know, Tanin was emceeing the rally, and Tanin said that after a, a speech about the incarceration, the over, the extreme incarceration of Aboriginal people in this country. And so it was very well put and said in context. And, you know, Tanin's response to that speech was, fuck Australia, burn it down. Because, and a lot of us feel that way. How do you feel powerless in that, that system? How can you, you know, seldom do we get help from it. Mm-hmm. So it makes, it makes sense in terms of abolition and Aboriginal self-determination. We, we want to exist outside of that colonial system. Yeah, there's more prisons being built. Yes. Yeah. So we, how, how, do we get, how do we get through that? How do we push back on that? Well, I think it's a bit more than just focusing on prisons being built because, um, you know, as an abolitionist, the question always is, and I'm sure it'll come up today, maybe, maybe it won't because I'm going to name it, um, is, well, what do we replace it with? Um, and we actually got to start thinking outside the bars and stop thinking about um, all the carceral mechanisms that we use from the day of invasion of this country and the continuing um, colonisation and colonising behaviours that continue to bring in more and more carceral mechanisms to capture people in the prison industrial complex. So, um, so when you say burn it down, I'm thinking you burn down the system that's a fundamental failed system and we rebuild it. So instead of thinking about... Um, the prison, as such, 
We need to think about what is the community that we want? What does it look like? How do we get there? What do we do? What are, what is the, what are the strategies? What are the actions without using carceral mechanisms, without thinking uh, prison or ca anything carceral? And I think we've got to the point in, in this country, in the Western world, that that's what we leap to immediately. You know, behaviours are um, legislated, behaviours that white privileged, middle, upper class, don't want to see homeless people, for example, people with illness on the street, Aboriginal people. So, you know, they lobby governments and then legislation's passed to move people on, to push them further to the margins so that the nice white people can walk down the street and not see the reality of people's lives. So when I think about what happened on the weekend, I'm not surprised. I actually said to everybody that LNP was going to get in. Um, I always felt it in my bones because we actually follow 45, we follow the USA and here we have, we have our 45 now um, running this country. And everything, the whole argument, the whole policy base that um, basically Australia lurched to the right was about the fear of deficit, their own deficit, that they're going to lose their money, they're going to lose their house, they're going to lose their shares, etc., etc., etc. So it was very individualistic concern and in that what I see is day in day out is how mainstream Australia also sees the people that I work with and for and even myself being someone who's been in prison as the deficit human that you actually don't want any contact with or don't want to know about and push me to the margins and those margins are now the prison industrial complex further behind concrete walls. I don't see anybody as a deficit and we actually got to stop thinking in that way because it's the capitalist mind how we've been um, institutionalised to take capitalism and run and it, within that we're so individualistic and we only give a shit about property and money and ourselves and nobody else and, and so for me it's about how do we build a community that actually is not relying on that um, and where we do um, support each other as humans um, with the respect and the dignity that everyone deserves um, within a community and some people may have challenging behaviours, some may not and that's okay, that's the difference that we bring because we all don't want to be the same so um, you know, let's harness that and think about what the community would look like without you know, as I said, engaging those carceral mechanisms to control people who are deemed the deficit And that last voice you heard was Debbie Kilroy speaking on prison abolition um, and linking it to the federal election alongside um, Murray Kionis, Gunai and Gunditjmara, woman um, and activist in Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance. And the panel was facilitated by Robin Oxley, um, who is a Tharawal woman from Southwest Sydney with Yorta Yorta Family Connections um, and is a lecturer in criminology for the School of Social Sciences at um, Monash University. And you can follow Robin at Robin underscore Oxley on Twitter We'll be right back. You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast. The time now is coming up to 7.30. Yo, peace. This is Rod Stars. What up? This is G1. This is DJ Illinois. And together we are Rebel, Rebel Diaz. And whenever we are here, we listen to 8.55 a.m. 3CRD Digital. 3CR.org.au. You already know what it is. Free Radical Radio. Let's go. 3CR. Brr. Shirley Hood's back with a new show, Second Thoughts, coming to you on Monday, 27th of May, 1 to 2 p.m. on 3CR. See you then. Brrr. It's National Volunteers Week and 3CR would like to thank the 400 plus amazing volunteers who power our radical radio. 
bringing you independent news, critical views, and incredible specialist music programs. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What would Melbourne's Airways be without you? You You all deserve deserve a gold star. 10 out of 10, 3CR volunteers. 10 out of 10. CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Attention book lovers, the new International Bookshop is hosting our annual Big Red Book Fair. Come down to the Trades Hall in Carlton on Saturday the 29th of June from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. As always, the book fair features thousands of books across all genres, all radically priced. There's also a barbecue and a showcase of radical posters. In order to make this fundraiser a success, we are calling for book donations now. So if you have books that need a new home, please get in contact via the website at nibs.org.au or on 9662 3744. That's 9662-3744. The new international bookshop, a 3CR supporter. And you're listening to 3CR. It is just on 7.30 and we have uh, a climate change story to kick off our interviews today. Unfortunately, whilst um, national action might be slowing on climate change, climate change is not slowing down. Uh, so with that, we have Michael with us this morning, giving us an insight to his recent article entitled Global Fossil Fuels Subsidies Reach $5.2 trillion and $29 billion in Australia. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Now, I, I have to confess, I dropped maths in year 10, and uh, a lot of this conversation around subsidies and large, huge, intangible numbers, I find very mm-hmm. hard to wrap my head around. So could you please just crunch the numbers for us? Yeah, so the report... Um, has provided a breakdown of an estimate of global subsidies that have been provided to fossil fuels. So they provide a mix of subsidies that are provided in the form of direct subsidies. So this might be just grants or funding um, or you know, tax discounts that governments have been provided to um, fossil fuel companies through to the costs of fossil fuel use that aren't captured in any way. So this might be the costs of pollution, this might be the impacts on greenhouse gas or, or global warming as a result of clean, greenhouse gas emissions, um, but there's no cost associated to those. So there's no carbon price or carbon tax applied to those emissions. And the report effectively counts that as a, a subsidy. Mm-hmm. And when you add up those subsidies across across the world, um, it comes up to this astronomical number of, of exceeding $5 trillion yeah. a year. Um, and that sort of flows through because we see things like, um, you know, there's the impacts of global warming through to the costs of air pollution. And, and, you know, we're fairly lucky in Australia that we have very high air quality, but you look at countries like China or India that have really suffered from a, as a result of um, coal pollution or, or fossil fuel use, that smog has really impacted on those cities. Um, and that's led to really dramatic health impacts on their citizens. Absolutely. And the report states that um, coal remains the largest beneficiary in, mm. in Australia. What, what's the significance of that to Australia? Well, I think that's a good good question. So you know, we've had a lot of discussion. There's a lot of 
discourse in Australia about uh, the use of coal and coal being promoted as this, Australian coal in particular being promoted as this cleaner alternative to um, coal that's sourced from other countries. And is when you, know, you hear um, people advocating for mines like the Adani Carmichael mine, mm. they promote that as Australia has cleaner coal. Um, but in reality, the, the, you know, coal is coal. There's no, no such thing. degrees mm. of cleanness when it comes to coal. Mm. Um, and so when they use that sort of perceived benefit as having a cleaner coal for Australia, we can, we can see the end result when we look at sort of those larger cities, in, um, particularly throughout um, Asia, where citizens are, are affected by the cost of pollution. And looking at these kind of global fossil fuel subsidies uh, on like a, you know, as I said, a global scale, obviously, Mm. once again, it's the big end of town that's contributing towards the polluting. Mm. Um, What mechanisms do we have to kind of address this internationally? I mean, it it was really fascinating for me to see that the um, IMF and the IEA are taking action through this report. What sort of global governance do we have? What apparatus do we have to address this this, this section? Yeah, so I think, you know, the, the clearest one that we have is the, um, the Paris Agreement that's now mm-hmm. been, um, has come into force. That specifically targets greenhouse gas emissions. So the, the, the thing with the Paris Agreement is that it's specifically looking to try and prevent global warming. Um, but it does sort of acknowledge that there are these flow-on benefits and, you know, things like air pollution and mm-hmm. um, smog, uh, that's, that's kind of the biggest economic impact when you, when there's sort of the IMF went away and sort of calculated up the where these subsidies are coming from. It's that sort of unregulated, unpriced cost of pollution on in terms of smog and, and air quality. That's where the biggest sort of costs are coming from. Um, and so there's a mix of we have an international treaty that's looking to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, but we also need to look at what we can do internationally uh, in terms of helping countries. Um, clean up their air, what, mm. what we can do in terms of supporting them to move away from fossil fuels. Um, and that's, a, you know, that's both a, a, an opportunity for us to coordinate on, on regulation, but it's also an opportunity for us to cooperate on, on cleaner technology. Definitely. And I suppose these, these subsidies are not helping at all because they offer a fantastic incentive just to continue the way we're going. Yeah, and I think, you know, for some of them they are direct subsidies because we're not paying... Sort of the true cost of, of coal, mm. um, and, and in many ways, it's, it's governments not being proactive enough and saying there is a cost associated with using fossil fuels, and we need to price fossil fuels appropriately by introducing some sort of pricing mechanism like a carbon price or a carbon tax. Mm. But we're not necessarily seeing that here, especially in Australia, especially also with our um, commitments to things like the Paris Agreement, which makes me very scared. No, and, you know, we, we had one. We had a carbon price and we mm. had one for two years. And, uh, you know, the world didn't end. And <laughs> in fact, our economy grew and our emissions went down by quite a considerable amount. Mm. And in the mean, you know, since it's been repealed, um, emissions have been rising again. And, you know... In terms of a policy mechanism, while it was used as a political opportunity to win votes and scare people about the cost of tackling climate change, it was actually a really effective policy and it worked mm. really well. Um, and I think, you know, there's a challenge challenge for those working in the, the sort of clean energy space and campaigning on climate change to really 
try and find out how we can communicate that with people that, that tackling climate change is not something that should be scary or we should worry about in terms of our economy, but it's something that's going to be beneficial for us yeah, definitely. in the long term. And I suppose also this, this report really highlights the health benefits. So I'm just reading here that it's something like IMF attributes 2.6 deaths per 1,000 people in Australia to local air pollution and stuff mm. like that. And you've mentioned, of course, in other countries with you know, greater air pollution quality and mm. stuff like that, that it's, it's even more. Um, so I guess we need to almost rebrand this as a massive, massive health issue as well as environmental. That's right. And I, I think that, you know, we've seen that um, in countries where there aren't strong air pollution regulations and, mm. you know, some, some of the countries that have particularly high um, health impacts are countries like Russia and the Ukraine where there's almost no regulation on, on air quality. But we've seen it locally as well. And you know, in when the, the Morwell mine in, in the Latrobe Valley caught fire, the, the smoke and the health impacts that resulted from that fire were really significant. And that was a huge impact and a huge impost on the local community. And so it's not just... It is, I mean, global warming and, and, and climate change is really important, but there is this other side of that story about actual direct health impacts. Mm, that definitely. is a really big contributor um, to the, the negative impacts of fossil fuel use and something that we should really be talking about. Absolutely. And I, I suppose within the conversation about climate change, you know, we're often told by the government and by uh, activists, you know, to swap out plastic straws for paper or take five-minute showers. And I suppose mm. these, these mechanisms, mechanisms are all kind of tactics to mobilise the in individuals on an individual mm. kind of level. But it puts ownership on us and responsibility on us to mm. solve climate change when it really is these massive industries who are making yeah. the most trouble. Um, do you think it's a kind of uh, like this, this, this focus on the individuals, a distraction away from the big businesses who are obviously, you know, through this kind of these incentives and these subsidies, really, yeah. really encouraging this? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question about what we do. What, what do we tell people is the most mm. important action that they can take? And um, yeah, for sure, looking at individual actions is important because we do want people thinking about their choices when they're buying energy or using plastics. Um, but there is, I do feel like there is a sense that that is pushing responsibility on the individual and making individuals feel guilty about the way that they live in the world, mm -hmm. um, whether that's right or wrong. Um, but there's also a big opportunity there for, I think, governments to step in and for big progressive businesses to step in and take mm. large actions. Um, uh, the great example I think we've got at the moment is the, the government and the ACT. The ACT has committed to a 100% renewable electricity target. Um, they've gone out basically on behalf of all of the people of Canberra and said, look, we're going to buy 100% renewables. We're going to go out and we're going to contract with uh, a bunch of wind farms and solar farms. Um, they're going to get built specifically to provide power to the ACT. Um, and then on your behalf, the whole of the ACT will be renewably powered. And that's an action that the ACT government was able to take. Mm -hmm. That's a huge step because now all of a sudden, basically everyone in the ACT is renewably, renewably powered. Um, and that cost is, is shared across um, the community. And that's sort of a big step that you can take when you take action at local government or the state government or hopefully at one point the federal government level. Definitely. And just, just finally, um, we obviously have a lot of environmental shows uh, mm. here, but it's really fascinating talking to uh, you because you're from, you're a journalist with Renew Economy, so obviously mm -hmm. it's looking at um, environmental issues from this economic lens. Mm. 
Um, so I, I suppose just just a quick kind of where that organisation kind of came out of and why it came out, um, why it, why it's been developed. Yeah. So, ask. Yeah. So Renew Economy's been around for uh, probably about since 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, it's rights primarily about um, renewable energy um, and climate change policies. Um, and I think there's been a really what what Renew Economy has done is it's kind of found this niche of people really want news about renewable energy. They want news about what's happening in climate change um, in terms of the science as well as in terms of policy. Um, and so people have kind of come and, and we've been able to provide this source of information and this source of news um, and pr- tie everything together. So if there's yeah. a project that's being built somewhere, sort of providing the greater context of that. Um, and I think since it started, sort of, the new economy has actually been able to tell this story about how the industry has changed and, and so much has changed and continues to change over the last 10 years. It's been very frustrating in many extents because the policy, you just want to tear your hair out all the time when you're looking at what's happening in terms of um, federal policy. But at the same time, there is this really positive story that's happening in that the economics of renewable energy um, have just continued to improve all the time. Like the, mm. the cost of solar panels keeps coming down, the cost of battery storage keeps coming down, the emergence of electric vehicles is a really exciting story. Um, and so despite what's happening um, in Australia and in terms of our federal government, the industry itself sort of keeps marching forward. And, and while the federal government might be able to slow it down or speed it up, depending on what policies they put in place, it's sort of this unstoppable force in a way. And I think Renew Economy's always been able to tell that story and I think it's kind of a hopeful, sort of exciting story that, that keeps going forward. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for like coming on and, yeah, giving us this economical, economic kind of perspective because um, I know that's a lot of people are very concerned about that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great alternative angle. Uh, we'll talk to you hopefully next time. Thanks great. for coming on. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast. We're going to follow up with a song by Emily Waramara. This is Ngarik Wajainam. And that was the incomparable Emily Waramara with her song Ngarik Wajainama. You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast. The time right now is just past quarter past seven, and uh, it's time for an interview. Uh, so just last week, Christian anti-Adani activist Greg Rolls faced Bowen Court on charges relating to a protest action that he took last November, hoping to disrupt the development of the Adani mine in North Queensland. He pled not guilty on the basis of a climate necessity, and we have him on the line to tell us more. Uh, good morning, Greg. Uh, good morning, Will. Good morning. Thank you for joining us on 3CR. Um, can I, uh, first of all, ask you to tell us a bit about the action, what happened last year? Well, on the 21st of November 2018, on Juru Country in Queensland, just outside of Bowen, I went up a tripod, which is a three-poled metal structure, over a train line whose sole purpose is to carry coal from central Queensland to the Adani-owned Abbott Point Coal Terminal. And the idea was to stay up as long as possible and uh, cost uh, Adani as much money as possible. 
Uh, I believe we're in the middle of a climate emergency and uh, the only thing we've got left to try and save and protect our home is acts of non-violent disobedience, civil civil disobedience to the destruction of our planet. So I, w- I ended up staying up for about three hours before the police came along with equipment to bring me down and uh, I was arrested and I uh, went to court for that last week. Mm. And so how did it go in court on, on Thursday? I, I believe you, you, we spoke a little bit earlier before this interview how all of the evidence was given last week, but the, uh, the actual verdict has been put off to the 28th. Um, yeah. how, how did people respond um, just to gauge the room to your climate defence? Um, so it's a defence on the basis of necessity um, yeah. that you uh, claim, claim that you're not guilty. Um, how did that go down? Uh, yeah, well, I, I managed to get a little bit of support before I went in, so I had um, a witness statement and was able to get, get testimony from a couple of expert witnesses, one of whom was Professor ben, Brendan Mackey, who is one of the lead authors of the Intergovernment Panel for Climate Change report that came out of, uh, a couple of years ago. And he was able to give witness and, and testimony to say that global warming constitutes what's called an extraordinary emergency. So in Queensland, the necessity defence, and just for listeners, the necessity defence is a, is a, was an old common law defence which said that, yes, I did the acts that I was accused of, but I was trying to prevent greater harm from happening, so therefore I'm not legally responsible. So, um, But in Queensland, it's actually been turned into written law called the extraordinary emergency defence. So in order to get off uh, and prove that you are not legally responsible, you have to prove that um, global warming is an extraordinary emergency and that you took the act of an ordinary person. So uh, I had a bit of, I had a long day in court arguing that. Uh, I, I represented myself, couldn't, um, unfortunately couldn't get a lawyer to come up to Bowen to represent me, but uh, the idea would be that hopefully if uh, we get a not guilty or, or to put pressure on the courts to issue a not guilty, recognising that um, climate change is an extraordinary emergency, that makes it a much easier for other protesters in the future to say, uh, you know, what we did was an act of, you know, in an extraordinary emergency and therefore we're not legally uh, liable for any charges coming out from protesting or trying to stop global warming. Now there is there is precedent on this on this defence, albeit in different countries and in different um, legal systems. But uh, yeah. can you tell us a bit more about what you've heard from the UK and the US of this defence being successful in achieving acquittal at the very least, if not a not guilty um, verdict? Well, given uh, given the state of the emergency we're in, I will say that it's it's been surprisingly hard to go to a courtroom and argue this defence uh, all around the world. It's been tried many times um, before the sort of last couple of years um, to argue the necessity of defence. And uh, the first challenge is actually getting to hear it. Most courts will say that's not relevant. You you've been done for, you know, sitting on a railway line or blockading a road. So the necessity of defence doesn't apply for these charges. Uh, but given the the grave emergency that we are now facing, um, you know, the fact that there's more carbon, there's as much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere now as when there were rainforests in Antarctica. Uh, courts are starting to listen. So um, a few people from Extinction Rebellion in the United Kingdom recently went to court and won on a similar defence for graffiti in King's College in London. Uh, And uh, Roger Hallam, who was uh, one of the defendants and one of the leaders of Extinction Rebellion over there, he managed to argue, he managed to say in court that this isn't about starving polar bears, this is about mass starvation, this is about the extinction of the human species. And uh, on on that basis and on the evidence that he actually got to run in court, um, the, the judge uh, found him not guilty um, because it said the, the graffiti that he did is, you know, 
came in comparison to the uh, damage that you're trying to prevent. So that was uh, the biggest precedent for running the necessity defence, not only running it, as I said, actually getting it up, but also successfully using the necessity defence to say, I'm not criminally liable for what I did, given the, the extreme emergency that our uh, home faces. Okay, and um, so can I ask, um, coming back to um, so-called Australia for a moment, um, we've talked about the um, the experience that you had in court just briefly. Um, how how have people in the community around Bowen and also the people in your your social community responding to your um, climate necessity defence argument? Yeah, I mean, when, when I I've been um, hanging around up in Bowen for about six months now, um, trying to. Yeah, you get involved in the Stop Adani campaign. And at first I was a little bit like, I can't believe people aren't aware and don't see what's going on. And, you know, they're more impressed with money than with protecting the environment. But it only takes, you know, for me a few weeks up here to just be surrounded by the, 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 the extreme propaganda of, of um, uh, the, the mainstream media up here who are basically telling locals that if the Adani mine doesn't come in, you will starve to death is almost what the media says every day. And uh, people are a little bit poorer and they're scared. There's also, you know, lots of uh, sort of contractors and uh, small business owners who, uh, you know, really want to get much wealthier than what they are and they're, they're spreading this, this uh, propaganda. So uh, I've, I've gone from kind of, you know, oh, I can't believe how brainwashed people are to a little bit of sympathy. So you still cop abuse when you go to town. Um, you know, I've been sworn at a lot. Um, but I, I try to engage with people. I understand you're scared and we need to work together to build, you know, a better, better alternatives to what's happening now. Um, people in the local community, people in my uh, sort of activist circle have been highly supportive. Um, Suffodani, it's the Suffodani campaign and, the, and the, you know, it's a great campaign to get involved in and there's, a, there's great groups. Actually, some of the most supportive people were the, were the, um, were the people down in Melbourne who uh, got me in contact with some legal support and with, with my expert witnesses. So there's some great groups down in Melbourne uh, to get in contact with and to uh, try and uh, help out, um, trying to protect our home. Um, you know, we're facing a possible three or four degree warming by, by 2050 and six degrees by 2100, and that's almost um, human extinction. So um, this needs to be our priority in life. Uh, we need to set aside whatever else we're doing. We need to work together, civil disobedience, to protect our home and protect our children's home. Otherwise, there's a, there's a possibility that we're all going to die. And uh, we need to be on top of this if we're going to, you know, it's not just about the economy. The economy rests on the environment, and our environment is telling us that, uh, you know, I can't take much more of the degree of exploitation we're doing. So we need to share and work together now and uh, lead the way in uh, in protecting our homes through acts of non-violent civil disobedience. I've been speaking to Greg Rolls, who is a anti-Adani activist um, who is currently facing court. Will be receiving a verdict next Tuesday, the 28th, as to whether you were guilty or not guilty of the the charges associated with the the tripod protest. Uh, Greg, best of luck. No worries. And, I guess uh, I might speak to you next Wednesday morning. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. Fingers crossed. Good news. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Hope, hope to talk to you then. Um. Have a great week. Thanks, Will. You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. We're going to play some community announcements. We'll be right back. In 2019, 3CR has the power. Add your support during the annual Radiothon to Power Radical Radio. Radiothon starts 3rd of June. To donate, call 039419 8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2019. Power Radical Radio. 
listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. Santa Concha, what the hell is a completo anyway? It's a Chilean hot dog, mate. What happens when lots of people get together and eat completos? It becomes a completada bailable. If you really want to experience a completada bailable and support our 3CR community, come to our fundraiser, Saturday 8th of June at Moreland City Band Room, 16 Cross Street, East Brunswick, at 6 p.m. Come and check your culo with DJ Twin and DJ Otorongo and live music by Abe Danovitz, Little Chili, and their mates. Limpiese la boquita que le quedó paltita. The 3CR Radiothon is fast approaching. And this year, we're asking you to power Radical Radio. That's right. It's with your support that we're able to be independent, community-controlled and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon powers the station to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax-deductible. 3CR Radiothon 2019, June the 3rd to the 16th. Power Radical Radio. G'day, my name is Margie Thorpe. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 on your dial. The Fair Go for Pensioners Coalition is holding a free conference on the 10th of July at the Greek Orthodox Church, 23-29 to Victoria Street, Coburg. The conference will take a look at whether the Aussie Fair Go still matters, ask why there's a crisis of trust in politicians and institutions, and question why public welfare services are increasingly private and costly. We'll also consider what action we can take to build the future we want. Limited places are available and bookings before the 10th of June are essential. Email eventsfgfpvictoria at gmail.com or call 0477-236-880. Fair Go for Pensioners Coalition, free conference, 10th of July in Coburg. A 3CR supporter. Did you know volunteering contributes to a happier life? Want to know what you can do to make a difference in your local community of Whittlesea? Whittlesea Community Connections hold a volunteer information session every month. It is a friendly session where you get to meet others and be linked to not-for-profit organisations. Contact Michelle from Whittlesea Community Connections on 94016630 or visit our website www.whittlesecc.org.au to find out more. A 3CR supporter. CR Community Radio 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live.
QR code is an LGBTIQA plus health podcast made by queers. Across eight episodes, hear us engaging with our communities discussing diverse and intersecting topics on In Your Face on the last Friday of every month or download from 3cr.org.au forward slash QR code. And follow us on Facebook at QR code 3CR, funded by the City of Yarra. And you're listening to 3CR. The time is 8.01. So, for our next interview, uh, taking place last Thursday and Friday, was the Stockholm Internet Forum, uh, an event organised by the Swedish International Developmental Cooperation Forum Agency. This forum brings, uh, seeks to bring ideas and conversations around a theme pertaining to democracy. And this year's theme was Defending Human Rights in the Context of Shrinking Democratic Spaces Online. We have Chat, one of the organisers, um, on, the, on the phone. Good morning, Chat. Um, so we're wondering, how did this kind of theme come about? And could you outline kind of how is democracy speaking, you know, shrinking on online spaces? The Stockholm um, Internet Forum is a forum that's organized by the Swedish International Development Agency in Stockholm. It happens uh, every two years, mm-hmm. and, and the Association for Progressive Communications, which I am from, um, is a partner of um, CEDA. And so they've invited their partners, plus quite a range of uh, civil society, as well as um, private sector and also governments to participate in, in and, and contribute to the Stockholm Internet Forum. And the choice of, um, of the shrinking democratic space is, I think, quite obvious and timely mm-hmm. because there's everywhere around the world there's been the trend around not only on the, of the uh, shrinking democratic space, in, um, overall, not only on the Internet, but it really manifests itself on the Internet. Um, in relation to this, so issues like misinformation, disinformation that has led to the to the rise of um, more authoritarian states. Mm-hmm. I come from the Philippines, and that's certainly uh, true. And um, disinformation in relation to the elections, um, hate hate speech um, online that really um, pushes people outside of you know pushes people out of the internet and the and so there, these are the concerns, and there's also the trend around arrests of uh, people working in media, journalists, and mm-hmm. um, that is that is growing. And again, in, uh, I give the example of my country. You know, in in the Philippines, there is uh, an online uh, newspaper that where everything has been thrown at them from the registration. Uh, because of foreign funding, to uh, you know uh, cases mm. against the editor. Um, uh, the editor is Maria Ressa. I'm sure you know she's she's just been recently one of the uh, um, identified as one of the most influential people at Time Magazine because of just the defense around you know, around uh, freedom of expression online. So these are some of the issues that were. Um, addressed at, at the um, Stockholm Internet Forum. Definitely, and I, I suppose um, there's a big point to be made that the internet is discriminatory in the way that is accessibility is limited to only certain areas of the world. Do you think this kind of this this lack of access is another thing that contributes to the idea of shrinking democratic spaces? That these what already is what what spaces already do exist are actually shrinking from being accessible to people. 
Yes, absolutely. I think I'm glad you raised that point because there are two things that was was discussed at the forum. Mm-hmm. One is, in fact, the, the continuing lack of access in many places, like rural, rural, um, especially remote and rural communities, um, which continues to you know to be underserved, as we as we say, because it's not profitable for a lot of mobile companies and. Um, uh, providers. The other, the other worrying trend really is the denial of service, as I call it, right? So mm-hmm. what, what do we mean by that? Internet shutdowns is one of them. So there's a growing trend of states um, shutting down the internet mm. in moments that are critical. Elections is one of them. When there, when, when there are um, perceptions, some real, some imagined, some I think use it as an excuse of uh, um, either terrorist attacks or violent um, um, events. Mm-hmm. And case in point is Sri Lanka, and it is controversial because some of the concerns are quite um, uh, valid, no? Because mm-hmm. as we've seen, as we've seen, you know, you, it, it can it can actually lead to much more violence. Let's say because of mobilizing against you know mob, uh, mobs mobilizing against um, different communities and fomenting the ethnic violence. So, but denial of service is one of them. So one is internet shutdown and one is actually service interruptions. And in places where it's hard to actually monitor, let's say, some civil society organizations or watchdogs that are looking at these issues. So two things, right? I mean, continued lack of access and second is just denial of, of access, uh, a worrying trend. Definitely, and I suppose as the world becomes more cyber and we become more reliant on these computer services, that's definitely shutting out a huge proportion of our society and making it very elite in a lot of ways. Do you think we're seeing a new almost class emerging people who can have access to the internet, have access to tech, and those who are going to be kind of discriminatory left behind? Uh, yeah, I mean, they are already being left behind. Look, the uh, trend around um, connecting the next billion Mm. And there's still half of people around the world that are not connected, despite mm. the fact that in many places we have so much connectivity and we don't do, you know, there's so much information. Um, so I think that that definitely has made, that definitely makes exclusion mm. um, one of the critical issues and inclusion should really be something that we need to look at. So one of the one of the forums, one of the sessions at this Internet forum is around innovate more innovative approaches to access. There was a group of community networks. Um, uh, APC was one of the organizers of that session because we do work around um, uh, mobilizing resources um, around uh, for community networks that mm-hmm. are actually in different, um, com- providing connectivity in different, in, in remote communities. So, for example, uh, one of the, uh, let's say, um, in, in, in Mexico, um, one of the, one of our, one of our partners worked in providing connectivity in, in around 20 villages, uh, providing voice, uh, and they run their own community network, um, in Oaxaca, in the state of Oaxaca, and these are mm-hmm. all indigenous communities, and they run their own, they run their own network, and they, uh, and the, the cost of uh, connectivity is uh, so much lower than what uh, the mobile company would have uh, would charge, and there's, there are community networks uh, in many places, 
um, and it is actually one of the things that I think it's a, it's a model mm-hmm. that um, that uh, pro- that complements and pro- provides connectivity where there are gaps. Definitely. So this sounds almost like you need localized solutions for areas and stuff like that, pertaining to like in unique kind of circumstances. Yeah, it doesn't. You see, I think it provides con- connectivity, and it also uh, uh, it, it, and then it does um, result to um, people really one um, accessing information. Second, mm. it, it does uh, help people in terms of. Uh, co- contributing to incomes in different ways, um, and it also helps the community organize themselves. So, yeah, there's definitely. I think there's that, that's one of the areas that um, that needs much more attention. And and in fact, one of the things that uh, one of the um, one of the ways that the governments or states have been contributing or have been uh, incurred provide encouragement is through licensing because that's one of the challenges around smaller around smaller um, uh, projects like this is that licenses um, of to, to provide to provide connectivity normally is that is um, um, how should I say is uh, uh, tailored for big companies for big telcos so it's expensive there are no licenses for community networks etc so this is one of the things I, that that will be very useful um, to encourage more on the ground and community uh, community initiatives of this of this um, sort. Definitely, and I suppose the forum was definitely pulling all these really cool speakers and ideas together. Um, you did mention CEDAW, uh, the Convention on Elimination Against Discrimination Against Women, uh, which <laughs> bumbled the name a little bit. Uh, can you kind of tell us just what a little bit of a focus of that was? Um, look, uh, what I said is actually CEDAW, which oh, is a staff of it. But that's relevant too, yeah? CEDAW is the mm-hmm. International yeah, Development Agency, which organizes but the um, CEDO is quite important. It's one of the things that came up at the session, at the forum, is in fact gender, uh, gender-based online violence. So mm-hmm. it's one of the issues that were taken up. And it's not only around women's and violence against women, but it's also violence against um, LGBTQI communities. And, um, and for, for, so that's uh, in relation to that, one of the... Uh, something that came up is that in relation to the Convention on the Elimination of um, uh, Discrimination Against Women is the, the definition of uh, violence against women. Um, so in the last couple, few years, there's been a, um, um, an advocacy around expanding that definition of harm to include harm that comes uh, that, that is the result of or the impact of gender-based violence online. So it's now recognized that you, the United Nations Commission on Human Rights has now a um, resolution that addresses gender-based violence online. And I think that's quite important because if we want to look at um, remedies or attention by governments or reporting to CEDO, this government's report around, on, on uh, how they... Um, how they implement um, CEDO, then it's quite important to say, okay, look, you have to report around 
what kinds of uh, issues or cases and uh, of violence uh, of gender-based violence online are you doing and uh, is happening and what what are the states um, doing uh, about it Absolutely. And this is just an absolutely fascinating topic we could talk about all day. Um, Obviously, the forum passed last Thursday and Friday. I was just wondering, there's some information on the APC website, which we'll link viewers to, but is there anywhere else that people can kind of hook into this this conversation? Uh, Look, I mean, uh, we were quite um, good, uh, very active tweeting that happened. So there's the hashtag SIF, which is SIF. 2019, and that's good because it then leads to different resources if you look at oh, that. Fantastic. Um, yeah, the, the other thing I wanted to point out is mm-hmm. in relation to um, how it relates to Australia. Because one of the, one of the um, recent um, changes in, the, in your criminal code, in the Australian criminal code, is mm-hmm. the, is the um, that happened right after the Christchurch um, the Christchurch um, um, event is is the um, the change in the criminal code, the reaction of the Australian government, mm. which then um, um, which actually um, forces now uh, executives of uh, of companies um, to take down content or to criminalize. Mm. Um, to ask executives if they don't take down content in relation to um, anything to do with violence online, that they would then be liable. Look, I mean, the intention might be good, but the way that um, the way that it's been introduced is is um, is that was very quick, and there were very little consultation to do with it. And the danger mm-hmm. of this is really around um, possibly, um, you know. Um, uh, more restrictions or more censorship around content. I think that's one of those issues that also were, was raised there. So for con- um, that many reactions need policies and regulation of the internet really needs to, to be well thought out and there needs to be much more consultations all around. It was one of those things that I really, uh, that I, th- I thought that um, captured some of the reactions around policy is a trend around policy on the internet that is one around policy panic, mm. policy profiting when it comes to companies um, and opportunism that is used to, you know, to let's say get, you know, get elected. So I think those are some of the other uh, interesting and I think quite relevant issues around it. Absolutely, and thank you so much for raising that. Um, yeah, it's really great to bring it back to the relevance of Australia and the, the kind of what's going on here. Um, again, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, as I said, wealth of knowledge. We might have to call you back and <laughs> have a bit of further discussion some other time. But thank you for coming on today. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> and, yeah, that was um, our last interview. Wow. For a forum I've never heard of, that's just mind-boggling how much stuff's going on there, how much conversation's. A lot of stuff. Uh, we'll be right back after these community announcements. Folks, stay tuned. It's uh, 8.17. You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast. I put you in a mirror. I put in front of me. Hi, I'm Elise Platt, and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 a.m. on your radio dial. Linger. 
My name is Ian Ham, and I'm the chair of the Healing Foundation's Stolen Generations Reference Group. At three weeks of age, I was separated from my birth family, and even though they lived just 50 kilometres away, I never knew they existed. I never met my mum, and it pains me to this day. There are thousands of Aboriginal people just like me, and our stories have never been heard. These stories form the basis of Australia's first Stolen Generations resource kit for schools. To download the kit, go to healingfoundation.org.au. A 3CR supporter. In December 2017, Tanya Day, proud Yorta Yorta woman and much-loved member of the Aboriginal community, was travelling by train to Melbourne. When V-Line staff found her asleep, they called Castlemaine Police and she was removed from the train and charged with public drunkenness. Tanya died 17 days later as a result of head injuries sustained while in custody. This would never have happened had the recommendations of the 2001 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody been implemented. Tanya Day's family is calling for the crime of public drunkenness to be abolished and for the implementation of genuine community health alternatives to incarceration. Please add your support by signing the petition at 3CR Reception, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, or online by entering Tanya Day Petition into your browser. This is James Henry here and you're listening to 3CR, 8.55am and digital streaming on 3cr.org.au. March 16, the Sentani region of Jayapura in West Papua was hit by massive flooding and landslides, killing at least 89 people with more than 6,000 people evacuated from their home. 74 people are missing and 159 have been injured. This disaster is the result of torrential rain coupled with devastations of the mountains. Also poor waste management, polluting and clogging waterways, leading to flash flooding and mudslides. At this time, West Papua people need your help more than ever. Help us. Reach our goal to raise $10,000 to provide emergency supplies, food, first aid, nappies, baby food and milk formula. All money raised will go directly to Yayasan Abdi Budaya Nusantara a foundation facilitating the evacuation camp in Sentani, West Papua. Donate online at https chaforg project flood relief for West Papua. West Papuan people need you. It's time to help and don't make them feel alone. You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am or at 3cr.org.au. The time now is 8.20 and we're back to round out the show. Um, mm. I thought it might be worth doing some, uh, I know we just did some community service announcements, <laughs> but these are like events and things that are coming up. Um, on the 28th of May, 
After the election, where to next for anti-fascist activism? This is an event by the Campaign Against Racism and Fascism. They're inviting people to come down and talk about where to next for the anti-fascist movement. Um, and if you're intro- interested in joining CAF for that um, for that conversation, uh, obviously it's free. It's happening at the Trades Hall Council, Victoria Street, Carlton, um, here in uh, Melbourne. And um, it'll be on the 28th of May from 6 p.m. So if you wanted to come down and um, and talk about uh, your ideas for, for anti-fascism and what, what the future should be, then, then do that. 28th, 6 p.m., Trades Hall. Yeah, and I've got a rally that's happening on the 24th of May, which uh, you might know if you're in your calendar, is this Friday. Uh-huh. It's been organised by Extinction Rebellion. So, yep, going on this Friday, it'll start at about 12 o'clock in the afternoon, so lunchtime, and goes till about uh, 4 o'clock. It's just in front of the Parliament of Victoria, so that's on Spring Street. And, yeah, it'll be hosted by Extinction Rebellion, and their point, especially with this, is uh, in this election and in this country, uh, climate change has been labelled as a moral issue, an economic issue, uh, but they're stressing it's a scientific fact. So if you wish to come along and see show solidarity around that, um, yeah, that, that march will be happening on Friday the 24th at 12 o'clock in front of Parliament. That's right. Um, so we've had a, had a pretty good show, um, but we did want to talk a bit more, didn't we, on, um, on certain topics? Was that not right? We wanted to talk about our hopes for Radiothon. Yes. So Radiothon, uh, as you know, is our annual subscription week, mm-hmm. and it's coming up this year on the 3rd to the 16th of June. Now, we always try to make the show a little bit interesting. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we thought for this... You don't this just hear like an hour and a half of us begging for, for money. Um, because, you know, this is a community radio station. Mm. We're, not, we're not a media organisation that's on its last legs um, no. wanting the community to prop it up. We're part of the community. Mm. You're welcome to walk in here and become a volunteer tomorrow if you want to. Definitely. Um, you just need to turn up between 9 and 5 when the, <laughs> when the office is open. You just press the door button, door opens and you can come on in. Um, but yeah, sorry, Ivan. <laughs> no, no problem. Yeah, you're right. We're totally part of the community and we make content for the community. So mm. we thought with that in mind, Radiothon, we would be focusing on what we like hearing on radio, mm-hmm. what we love hearing on radio and what we miss out on hearing at radio, whether mm. it's here at 3CR, but more so what we miss out in the mainstream. So we're wondering if you have any ideas of what you like or what you don't hear on the radio, please feel free to uh, call into the centre with, you know, Wednesday breakfast or even, you know, I'm mm. sure we'll, we'll be going into the IRAs and finding out. And we, we're hoping to basically get some guests on to talk about that, but also, yeah. you know, sourcing sourcing the issues that people are interested in because, mm. as Will's said and I've said, this is a community organisation. We're Absolutely. about community interests, yeah. This year's theme is Power rad- Radical Radio, mm-hmm. and um, r- r- to me, radical radio is one that's responsive to people and their actual concerns rather than coming top-down telling you what's important. Absolutely. So if you ring in um, during business hours again, 94198377, that's 94198377, um, and tell the receptionist that this is a note for Wednesday breakfast, mm-hmm. then um, we'll receive your message, they'll leave it in our pigeonhole, and um, we'll include that in our Radiothon coverage, and we're really looking forward to hearing from you. Um, also, we've got a text line. Um, unfortunately, um, today we weren't able to read out texts if you sent them in today. Um, but if you want to send us a message through text instead of um, over the um, sort of phone, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, the the phone the text line is zero four eight 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 zero nine 
855, mm-hmm. and just make sure that you mention it's for Wednesday breakfast that you're sending the note in. Um, talking about, importantly, what you want to hear on the radio, um, what topics you think don't get covered enough on in, in ma- mass media in general, mm-hmm. and um, things that you want to hear 3CR talking about, um, in particular in current affairs, which is what we do here on Wednesday breakfast. Absolutely. It- we're kind of cheekily crowdsourcing <laughs> issues to for the future, uh, if you hadn't guessed. Um, yeah, apart from that, we've had a pretty great show today, very mm-hmm. climate-focused, which is yeah. good. Shall we go backwards through, through the interviewees that well, we let's had? Let's do that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we just had our last interview was with Chat, uh, and she was talking on the human rights in the context of shrinking democratic space online mm-hmm. forum. <laughs> That's going to be happening in Stockholm. Which has happened. Has in happened. Yep. And yes. for more information, you can actually go to the APC website. So that's just um, www.apc.org. Mm-hmm. And if you just look up Stockholm Internet Forum 2019, uh, it'll come up. And that's really great because that has a whole lot of information about the forum. But um, I think, as Chad actually mentioned, there's also a few other networks you can get involved with mm. on Twitter through the hashtag uh, SY. SIF, I believe, um, which will actually connect you to the grassroots movements and kind of ideas that are happening within that forum, which sound fantastic. Yeah, yeah great. Um, and then earlier in the show, we were speaking to Greg Rolls, who is an anti-Adani activist, um, former teacher, identif- identifies as a Christian, and has been um, in court for um, protesting by blocking a, um, an Adani um, railway line. Um, the, vi- the verdict will come down on the 28th, so we're looking forward to having um, Greg on the 29th to let us know what happened. Um, fingers crossed for Greg. Uh, and then what else did we have earlier in the show? Yes, yeah, so we had another environmental, very environment <laughs> busy uh, day. Yep. Uh, we had Michael from Renew Economy, and he was giving us a really interesting economical kind of and health perspective on uh, international and national subsidies for coal and mm-hmm. discussing how we're somehow still providing rewards to people for using dirty energy. Yuck. Yeah, yuck indeed. So that was that was 7.30, and we had a um, previous interview from yesterday. Oh, yes, we had an excerpt from, um, this is part of the So What If series mm. at the Wheeler Centre. Um, so What If We Didn't Have Prisons? And it was a, um, a panel um, facilitated by Robin Oxley, um, and we heard from Mariki Onis and Debbie Kilroy, both really great um, voices in the prison abolition space. If you want to hear the rest of the um, of the panel, it goes for about an hour, and it's all held on the Wheeler Centre website. You just need to go to wheelercentre.com and then search for, so what if we didn't have prisons, um, which is the question that was posed. Uh, yeah, I thought I might quickly go through the weather, which is something that we have... Uh, sort of neglected to do recently. Um, so it was a pretty balmy morning this morning, wasn't it? It, was. it wasn't too cold, um, sort of about 12 degrees. It's going to get to a top of 20. It'll be sunny, and we're expecting only light winds. So if you have the day off, lucky you, because um, it's perfect picnic weather, I think. <laughs> um, Idwin, what are you grateful for? I am grateful for 3CR's graphics. I'm noticing the Radiothon, but also uh, the subscribe drive and all the recent oh, yeah. things we've been having going on. Someone the graphic design. in 3CR is doing amazing graphic design, and I'm really loving it. They've got some real mustards going on, uh, <laughs> yes. some block colours, and yep. some yep. cool symbolism. Like, I love it. And yeah. this hand-drawn um, sort of uh, 
logo text as well yeah you know what you're not going to be able to get the full force of the graphic design if you just hear us saying it over the air come into the studio 20 uh, 21 smith street in fitzroy um that's where you can come in and make your donation in person if you want to um and also leave a note for us on wednesday breakfast um for our radiothon special what you want to hear you can also find us at facebook Mm -hmm. um and i've been Highlighting all the graphics recently because <laughs> I've got control of that so at the moment. How so. do you find us on Facebook? Ah, how do you find us on Facebook? Very easy. Type in 3CR Wednesday Breakfast mm-hmm. and bing a banger, we should be the one with a nice mustard background. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Um, I'm grateful for so many things. It's hard to choose. Really, I'm grateful for people like Marie Kionis and um, the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance and Deb Kilroy and the, the wisdom that they've sort of shared with me, um, um, and I didn't pay for any of it, so I've got to find a way to do that, I suppose, just by yeah. giving you money to the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance. Um, uh, just, yeah, message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, uh, that great event that was held yesterday, so that's what I'm grateful for this week. Absolutely. Yeah, um, well, have a wonderful Wednesday. A mm-hmm. big thank you to Earth Matters who came before us, and, of course, up next will be Stick Together. Have a lovely Wednesday, folks. Bye. 3CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall. You can check them out at nibs.org.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 8377. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.